Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Thursday. We're almost to the weekend, but there's a lot of stuff that I want to cover today. First off, I just want to thank everybody for, if you tuned in to yesterday's edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast, if you listened to it, thank you. If you listened to the entire thing, God bless you. It was a long one. I mean, Jason and I were talking about the, the Golden Globe nominations and we went on for basically uh, almost two whole hours and then included the the other news that I talked about in the first half hour it was just a whole lot so if you tune into the whole thing thank you if you only tuned in for a little bit hopefully you tuned in to the golden golden globe portion of it Jason always brings a lot of valuable information and that's why I always love to have him on when we talk about award season that's actually going to continue today as the SAG awards were actually announced this morning on the East Coast. So I'm going to be getting into that with him and talking about kind of how what that means for this award season moving forward as the, the Screen Actors Guild has really a lot of influence on the acting categories and really what could be the main players for this award season. And I think in these last two days, we kind of have an idea of what the main players are going to be moving into the final really three months of this very long award season. So I'm going to be getting into that with him a little later on. It probably won't be as expansive or as long as the Golden Globe was because it's only dealing with acting nominations. So it's it's really limited down to the amount of categories, unlike yesterday, which was about, I believe, maybe 13-plus categories that came out of the Golden Globes. It's around 13 at most with the SAG, so it's not going to be a whole lot of categories to get through. So definitely tune into that in a little bit when I do talk talk to Jason about the Screen Actors Guild Award nominations. But before I get into any of that stuff, there is some additional news that I want to talk about that is going on around the world of Hollywood. It's not just award season. And some of those items that I'm going to talk about is the plot details for the next film in the DCU, which is The Suicide Squad, and kind of getting our first story tidbits on what that film is going to be about. I'm also going to be getting into a bunch of theories today as we get into the next episode of WandaVision tomorrow. There was some news made around the week with Elizabeth Olsen and when she talked about there could be a introduction of a character that's on the level of a surprise guest that appeared in the last season of The Mandalorian. So I'm going to be ta- kind of talking about that and wh- who could potentially be that specific person. I'm also going to be getting into my weekend preview of some uh, really one specific film that's coming out this week that I think a lot of people should be on the lookout for. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is turning it more into a, a little bit of a conversation and not really something that's news-based. And that is something that I actually stumbled upon Twitter a few days ago, and it was put up by Screen rant which kind of covers a lot of the of the fanboy news that's going on in, in Hollywood from comic books to, to Star Wars to some of the of the more nuanced film news that's out there as well a lot of interviews and sometimes they'll put up a lot of, of theory um, articles that are coming out for a lot of big tent poles um, around Hollywood so there's definitely some great stuff that comes out of screen rant and I stumbled upon one of the posts that they did put up and it was a repost not a repost but a a theory not oh, I shouldn't say theory but a question that was posed to fans that stumbled upon it and that was which film had the most hype 
between both The Force Awakens, which was Star Wars Episode 7, and Avengers Endgame. And it was actually something that I posted on Twitter, and I wanted to elaborate on it a little bit more here. So when you look at these two movies, they are some of the most highly anticipated films, I think, of all time. When you look at the level of anticipation uh, surrounding that film in that certain year between The Force Awakens in 2015 and Avengers Endgame in 2019, they were pop culture events that were just on a completely different level than anything that has come out in movies and in a very, very long time. One was the beginning of this new wave of Star Wars that we were getting that we haven't seen really since the prequels came out in the early 2000s. So people were really looking forward to what Star Wars had to bring to the table. New cast, new actors, a brand new story, bringing back old characters, especially the, the trinity of the original trilogy with Luke, Han, and Leia. There was a lot of stuff to really look forward to. And then there was, in 2019, the anticipated conclusion of this expansive story that started out really all the way back in 2008 with the first Iron Man film and was on left on a really big cliffhanger the year prior with Avengers Infinity War, which I think kind of built up an already amounted level of anticipation for a lot of people that were already interested in Avengers Infinity War and wanted to see the conclusion of not just this 21, 22 film saga that was being told over all these years, but really the immediate story of how this would translate over from a film that everyone loved with Avengers Infinity War. So there was, again, a lot of hype for both of these films. And the question that Screen really posed was, which film lived up to the hype? or And and which one w- had more anticipation lived up to the hype? And I would say, again, when you look at both of the, those years and you were standing in the shoes of each of those years and seeing which one had the most built up anticipation and what lived up to that anticipation and, and how it translated over if it did succeed in its level of anticipation, if it was worth it. And in the end, I, as much as I love Force Wiggins, and again, as much as that was a cultural moment in the, at the end of 2015, what we experienced in Avengers Endgame was nothing like I, I've ever seen before. And the reason I go with Avengers Endgame to the point of Star Wars The Force Awakens is again, the fact that with episode seven, that was the beginning of a story. We were, even though we wanted to see the return of this galaxy, J.J. Abrams was directing it. We were getting back to practical effects. There was a level of going back to a universe that not a lot of people thought we were ever gonna go back to, but you were kind of, you didn't really know what the story was. You didn't know where this was gonna really go. And and there was a lot more to look forward to after that movie than say something like an Avengers Endgame where that was the conclusion of certain characters that we might never see ever again. And really in the history of Hollywood, when you look back on trilogies, franchises that tell this one cohesive story, it's very rare for a film, a final film, whether it be a a 22nd installment in a franchise or a third installment in a trilogy or a 7th or 8th installment like in the Harry Potter franchise that is able to land the mark on a story that you are so invested in. Sometimes when you get to that last movie, sometimes even though you enjoy the first two movies, sometimes that third film 
can really falter and not because of the execution or, or because of acting or, or any other aspects of the film, but because of its storytelling, if a writer can't stick the landing on a story, whether it's television or film, it'll be remembered, that property, that, that story will be remembered for not everything that it did before, but how you were able to stick the landing on it, how you were able to close everything out. Just last year alone with Game of Thrones, no matter what side of the aisle that you come across on that television show, even though that show did so many incredible land, grand, like trailblazing things that that show did in its seven seasons that people loved and enjoyed, it's really going to be remembered for that eighth season, unfortunately, even though I'm a fan of that season, but some people did not like the la- the way that certain characters' journeys ended, the way that the overall story was concluded. Not a lot of people loved the way that it all kind of situated itself out, and it'll be remembered more for its, for its faulty and sticking the landing than everything that came beforehand. So with Avengers Endgame, there was this level of anticipation of not seeing all these characters return, but how are we going to conclude these characters, the storyline with all of these different things kind of coming to a head. And not only did they execute the action, the anticipation, so much fan service that fit the story, but the way that really the last 30 minutes of that movie were able to kind of tie up little bows of all these different character arcs like Captain America and Iron Man with Tony Stark and even Black Widow and some of the original Avengers that we followed since 2008, 2012 and into 2019 that they were able to stick the landing on all these different storylines and bring them to a satisfying conclusion where if you kind of talk to a lot of people that watched Avengers Endgame, even though they might have some problems with the the movie overall, but when it comes to the story and how they ended everything, there's, you you will rarely, in my belief, find somebody that will go against what Marcus and McFeely, Kevin Feige, and the Rooster Brothers did with that movie and concluding those storylines. And again, setting up more incredible adventures that we're now getting with WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Shang-Chi, Eternals. We're going to get more stuff down the line, and Avengers Endgame helped open some of those doors. However, they closed a lot of doors on things that we saw prior to what we're getting right now, and I think they stuck the landing so much better than a lot of other franchises did, both on film and on television. And again, with Star Wars The Force Awakens, did it have a lot of hype? Did it live up to it? Yes, but I think there was a lot more to be desired after that seventh episode in The Force Awakens because, again, a lot of people didn't really know what was going to happen with those characters, even though, again, we were going to get the familiarity with this universe. We didn't else really know what to expect. And even though we didn't know what to expect with Avengers Endgame in terms of where the story was going, we already had established characters, established locations, established villains. There was already establishment set within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, whereas with this era of Star Wars, we didn't really know what we were going to get other than, again, some of the older characters and knowing that this is a Star Wars universe. So I think when it comes to translating the hype, I think Star Wars The Force Awakens had a level of hype that it lived up to, but what Avengers Endgame was able to accomplish with its hype 
I think is far more of an accomplishment than what The Force Awakens did. So either way, both of these films are fantastic and they both had a level of anticipation that people, I think, can argue back and forth with. And this can be a conversation that people have different points of view on. And and I think it's a conversation that, again, between these two titans is one that is incredible. And I think when you look at the, the financial records for both of these films, we both thought these films could surpass the Avatar box office franchise record for highest grossing film of all time. We thought Force Awakens might be able to do it. At the time, it came up just short. And over time, Avengers Endgame was able to do that. So I think looking at both of these, the level of hype, the anticipation, and the payoff of the hype, I think Avengers Endgame crosses all three of those checkboxes in a higher percentage than with the the Force Awakens because again you had this level of anticipation and then when you came out of the end I think that anticipation was satisfied with the conclusion whereas with the Force Awakens even though you might have been satisfied and happy with what you were getting into with the film there was more anticipation to be had afterwards because of the ending of that cliffhanger in the Force Awakens between Rey and Luke there was um, added anticipation of okay where's episode eight where's episode nine and again with avengers endgame even though we knew this wasn't going to be the end of the mcu this was really the end of this era of the mcu that we were getting and we were going to translate over to a new era that we are experiencing right now with wandavision and all these disney plus shows and movies that we're going to be getting in the next few years so I would say Avengers Endgame holds the spot for the the most hype, the, the payoff to that hype, and living up to that hype as well. So Avengers Endgame is the one that I would go with, but again, I would understand how people would feel about The Force Awakens as well. I'm gonna put out a Twitter poll actually about this question. Which one did you think had the most anticipation? Was it Avengers Endgame? Was it The Force Awakens? Which one would you go with? And after you selected in the poll, put down your comments in that Twitter poll and let me know your thoughts on what you think Endgame or The Force Awakens. i really love to know what you guys think about that. And speaking of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and this new era that we're living in, I actually want to transfer over to another kind of theorizing question that has been kind of getting on me for the last week or so. And that is this news that came out a few days ago regarding WandaVision. And after the fourth episode of this television show, there, there's been a lot more theories kind of running around. There's a lot more interviews running around. A lot more people are kind of talking about WandaVision, especially after some answers were given in last week's episode of WandaVision. And Elizabeth Olsen has been making the rounds over the last few weeks talking about this show. And now that we're kind of in uncharted territory, a lot of the critics have seen all the episodes. It seems like we're still in the sitcom realm, but we're moving a little bit more out of it and kind of mixing up the both of these different universes together with the real universe mixed up with the sitcom reality that we're seeing. And it'll be interesting to see how this is all going to translate starting tomorrow and leading into the next few weeks. But there's a level of uncertainty of this show. And I mean that in the best way possible, because again, we don't know what, what to expect with this. And even though we have some new footage and there's new scenes that have been coming out since that fourth episode, nothing else has really been kind of given of where this show is really going to go with the with the story of this is going to really evolve into and some of the cast members have really been kind of kind of slightly giving some answers but not getting into a lot of details 
obviously as with a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe properties, you don't want to spoil a whole lot of stuff. You want audiences to go in with the uh, as little of knowing about the what is going on as possible to enjoy all the surprises that come with it. And one of the things that it seems like there could be a surprise about is according to Elizabeth Olsen, there was a question that came out talking about Luke Skywalker and what and what happened in the Mandalorian where in the the season two finale of Mando last year we got that huge surprise coming for the for Luke Skywalker showing up in the season finale of Mando and it kind of just set Twitter it set fandom Star Wars fans into oblivion I mean it was like heaven for a lot of people nobody saw it coming the actors on set didn't know about it it was really one of the best kept secrets in hollywood when in the day of twitter and social media a lot of things really don't get don't aren't able to have a level of secrecy as something like we witnessed in the season two finale of the mandalorian and because disney plus is associated both with star wars and the marvel cinematic universe they're both under the same studio a lot of people are wondering, are we going to get something like that in terms of the shock and all of not knowing something that's completely going to blindside us in the best way possible that we are going to get on board on. It's going to drop our jaws and we're going to be talking about it for weeks and weeks to come. And according to Elizabeth Olsen, WandaVision has something on the level of that kind of Luke Skywalker moment. And again, when we talk about that Luke Skywalker moment, the way that it was handled, that nobody knew what was going on. And when he talked to people that were on set of that episode, that was, it was filmed in complete secrecy. Not even, I, I don't know about Pedro Pascal. He hasn't come out to really talk about it. But there was an interview with Katie Sackhoff where when she was filming the episode and she's in that scene where Luke is appearing, that she didn't know that it was going to be Luke Skywalker, that she was really acting up against uh, a double in, in a un, for an unknown character that nobody really Really knew a whole lot about other than John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and the writers and of that show. And so for for what for Elizabeth Olsen to come out and say that there's a lot of weight to it because again, with, with everything when we just talked about, the level of secrecy, there's somebody that's coming that is gonna drop our jaws on the ground. We're gonna be talking about it, it's gonna completely subvert our expectations for this show and give us a new perspective on where this this series is going. Because again, episode four gave us some immediate answers of what happened in the first three episodes of WandaVision, where we're following Wanda and Vision in the sitcom world, not having an idea of what's going on, but we get little peelbacks in this kind of Twilight-esque way with the first three episodes. And then episode four just kind of rushes us in and shows us this other side, this other perspective of what's going on outside of this sitcom reality. So now again, going forth, where is this show going to go? And if we're having this big, like crazy, just, just actor or, or character coming into this role, who could it potentially be? Who could come in that just shocks us completely and makes sense 
to the story at hand because you don't want somebody just kind of come in and just be there to be there because it gives a shock value. You want it to make sense for the story. Again, I said it about Mandalorian. I've said it always about the MCU. The fan service always fits the story. It's not that the story fits the fan service and that's how it always should be. Fan service, you you put it in, in different areas of the story so that it makes sense. And if you can do that with this show and find a way with this, I'm all for it. Now, who could this person potentially be? And who could be on the level of like a Luke Skywalker gotcha kind of cameo or guest appearance or supporting appearance that fits the story? I mean, the first person that sticks out to me right away, and a lot of people have been theorizing if he will show up, and that's Doctor Strange. It will Benedict Cumberbatch appear on this show because Kevin Feige has said, and said it since San Diego Comic-Con in 2019 when announcing WandaVision and the rest of Phase 4 that included the new Doctor Strange movie, that WandaVision would lead into the events of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, having Elizabeth Olsen appear in that movie as well. So there's there's definitely going to be a connection by the end of this that leads us into the events of those mo- that movie and also has some kind of ties into the brand new Spider-Man film as well in which Benedict Cumberbatch is set to star in that film as well. So it makes the most sense that Doctor Strange could be that jaw-dropping moment that he comes in and helps Wanda maybe. Another one could potentially be Quicksilver coming in. But but when you think about it, though, is that a jaw-dropping kind of moment? Because we've heard that Evan Peters is going to potentially be in this, in this show. However, we don't know who he's playing because in the, the 20th Century Fox X-Men films, he was playing... He was playing Quicksilver in Days of Futures Past, Apocalypse, and Dark Phoenix. So maybe he comes into the fray, and that's how we get introduced to mutants in the MCU. Or maybe is it Wolverine, or is it the Fantastic Four? And those are, again, theories that are potentially potential, but I don't think we're going to get into mutants until the next few years. As Kevin Feige has said, it's going to be a while because of the deal that now he's going to have his foot set in for what he wants to do with the mutants and the Fantastic Four moving forward. Other theories that have come in, maybe it's Tom Holland's Peter Parker, maybe it's Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker, or Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, who, again, can kind of lead into the events of Spider-Man 3 and all the rumors that we've been hearing that those two are going to be coming back in some kind of a way to set up this Spider-Verse movie in live action. Or could it potentially be we get some of the OG Avengers to come back into this? Could we get somehow Chris Evans coming back as Captain America Steve Rogers? after it was reported by Deadline that there there is talks between Marvel and Chris Evans for him to come back as Cap in in two potentially two films especially one project for the MCU down the line could we get RDJ coming back for a little cameo appearance there's so much potential for where this could go and for, at the same time I wonder because Elizabeth Olsen set this up is it is it going to is it going to live up to the expectation because we're forming all these theories in our head and 
if it doesn't turn out to be the theory that some people think it's going to be, is it going to hurt this show if it isn't the person that people expect to appear on the screen? Or is it going to be a person that maybe people don't expect, but when they figure out that it fits the story, will people be excited about it and, and okay with it if it doesn't live up to their expectations? So I think those are some questions to have and one of the ramifications on the bad side if again you start people start theorizing about this which you want to do because you want to create buzz for the show and continue the buzz momentum on this on the series but at the same time if you create this expectation and you get a lot of theories forming in people's heads that don't live up to it is it going to backfire on elizabeth olsen for saying that and again she's she's right to say it and she didn't give away anything so it's not like she's going against a contract an nda that she probably signed for not spoiling anything so you just you, you wonder who this could potentially be but again i, th- I think it's going to add a lot of intrigue to this show that's already there and i think i, I can't wait for next week's or not really next week but tomorrow's episode i mean we're one day away from the next episode and there's still a lot of unknown with this show because now that we have the sitcom era established we have the the real world reality established how is that going to interweave with one another because i said when doing my spoiler review of wandavision that i think we're going to now get both of these realities weaving in together with one another now and it's not just going to be we're focusing on the sitcom reality for one episode and then we're going to go to the real world reality in another episode i think we're going to see both of them start to mesh together and i believe it's going to start this upcoming friday with the fifth episode of wandavision so what do you guys think about this news from Elizabeth Olsen saying that there is some kind of Luke Skywalker moment in WandaVision that will completely surprise, shock, and subvert expectations for thinking of, of what this show is going to be? Who do you think it's going to be? Is it as simple as Doctor Strange coming in and, and making sense story-wise of connecting the MCU to the bigger world? Or could it be one of the Spider-Men that's not Tom Holland? Could it be Professor X or Magneto, specifically Patrick Stewart or Ian McKellen? Could it be Evan Peters? Could it be Aaron Taylor Johnson? Could it be somebody else that we have no idea? And this also goes to the talking point that Paul Bettany made. And again, I think for him to say it as well, it's building up expectation for who could be on this show when he said, well, there's somebody who I really wanted to, who I never got to work with that I was excited to work with, never did, and I'm happy that I was finally able to work with that person. Is he talking about in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Is he just talking overall in his career of working with this specific person? I really don't know. So there's a level of anticipation around this mystery person that could either be showing up this week, maybe next week. So I think there's a level of anticipation of who this mysterious person that is going to show up and surprise a lot of people be and hopefully again we get that answered this week again i'm just excited for more wandavision it's always something i'm looking forward to every single weekend i'm really excited to see where this show goes from here so what do you guys think about this expectation set with wandavision do you think it's the best thing moving forward let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below 
And then moving on from the Marvel Cinematic Universe to the DC Extended Universe, I wanna talk about the next major motion picture to debut both now in theaters and on HBO Max, and that is set to be James Gunn's Suicide Squad, or rather, The Suicide Squad, which had a great debut at at DC Fandom months ago at the end of the summertime, and we got our first look at at some behind-the-scenes footage of the film. We got introduced to all the characters that the actors are playing and our first details of what to expect with this film. And since then, we've gotten some little bit of tidbits and nuggets here and there with all these kind of HBO reels being sent out advertising the, the the hybrid release of theaters and on HBO Max in the entire year of 2021. We've gotten little little scenes, little clips, little cuts of the Suicide Squad, seeing Harley Quinn, seeing Idris Elba's Bloodsport. So there's definitely some interesting aspects to this show or this movie and also the fact that we're getting a spinoff already with John Cena's character Peacemaker so there's a level of anticipation on this film and of course when you think of Suicide Squad it fits into kind of James Gunn's wheelbarrow of just kind of crazy exotic characters that are just completely outside the box and James Gunn is just such an outside the box kind of writer and director that this fits him perfectly and we finally kind of got our little first bit of information regarding the story and the plot and the characters and how it all is really going to come together. So this is the official synopsis released by Warner Brothers talking about the Suicide Squad. And this is how it all starts off. And it starts off in a way that totally makes sense for this film. Welcome to hell, aka Bella Reeve, the prison with the highest mortality rate in the US of A, where the worst supervillains are kept and where they will do anything to get out, even join the super secret, super shady task force X. Today's do or die assignment, assemble a collection of cons, including Bloodsport, Peacemaker, Captain Boomerang, Ratcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, and everyone's favorite psycho, Harley Quinn. Then arm them heavily and drop them literally on the remote and enemy-infused island of Carto Maltese. Trekking through a jungle teeming with militant adversaries and guerrilla forces at every turn, the squad is on a search and destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flagg on the ground to make them behave, and Amanda Waller's government techies in their ears tracking their every movement. And as always, one wrong move and they're dead, whether at the hands of their opponents, a teammate, or Waller herself. If anyone's laying down bets, the smart money is against them, all of them. And so that's the official synopsis for the Suicide Squad. And not a lot of tidbits in regards to, I think, the overall story. I think the closest thing we get is the fact that this squad and the team that is coming together is dropped onto this island. And when you listen to the to the behind-the-scenes documentary that was featured at DC Fandom, some of the artists were saying that this is very much a 70s war film, gritty war film, with the with the pizzazz and influence of a James Gunn film. So it definitely is James Gunn kind of going balls to the walls. And I think the fact that they're kind of just dropped in this jungle, kind of predator style, kind of a, of, of a platoon and apocalypse now style, 
it has those kind of, of that kind of feeling to it, it, it in the vein of you have all these just crazy psychotic people teaming up and I think it just kind of gives an overall synopsis of what is the suicide squad who the characters are in that there are a level of stakes to them that if they do mess up they will die if they don't address the situation at hand so it doesn't give a whole lot of details but it gives kind of the general synopsis of again we're just this is a self-contained adventure it's going to drop down all these all these cast of characters might die some of them might die and James Gunn has said that not everyone survives don't get too attached to some of these characters so it's definitely it definitely has that that aspect of a 70s war film and and I'm just excited to see where this is going to go seeing the pictures again I think this is truly when James Gunn says he had the time of his life directing this film you always hear directors and actors and actresses say I had the time of my life making this film this this is the greatest experience ever I love working on this and they're always doing that to promote the film create positivity for it but I think with James Gunn he's always somebody who's down to earth he never BS's people whatsoever he always really is authentic with his fans on social media gives them gives them the 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 411 no matter what and i think when he says that i really had the time of my life i believe him and and i think not to say that he didn't enjoy doing the guardians films but i think working on those guardians films helped him to where he is today in directing a film like this where you have no worries about him directing a big budgeted feature because he's done it twice already to great success on both times really both i think critically and financially so you really have no qualms i think with what james gunn can bring to the table he has the expertise he's worked in a comic book movie setting before in a big action blockbuster he's worked with unusual characters before to great success so i i just think that it's all been kind of building for him to work on a film like the suicide squad and so I think he's right at home. This is exactly for him. And even with everything going on with Suicide Squad, I think the fact that Warner Brothers wanted to basically mold Suicide Squad into a James Gunn-inspired film showcased that they felt that they wanted it to look like that, that they wanted to market the film like that to kind of get people to realize this is the kind of film that we want the first Suicide Squad with David Ayer to be. And so I think now that they have the guy that they are inspired by for that movie or what they wanted the film to be in 2016, I think they feel very confident for what this film can do. You haven't heard any kind of drama with, with this film whatsoever, which is, again, surprising considering what DC has gone through over the last few years. Granted, it has died down in, in around like two years since then. But again, with everything from Justice League to BVS to Suicide Squad, it just seems like they're always there's there's always some kind of drama behind these films and even patty jenkins said when she was promoting wonder woman 84 that both on wonder woman the first film in 2017 and the sequel which came out last year that you know it was a fight between the studios to do to, to work on certain things and to compromise and it sounds like she won a lot more of those battles on the sequel than she did in, in the in the origin film in 2017 so the fact that again warner brothers is just letting James Gunn roll with this is good and I'm really excited to see what his vision is going to be and reading the synopsis again it doesn't surprise me because it sounded this is exactly what we heard from the BTS featurette at DC Fandom and just kind of confirms a lot of things that 
I think people are expecting. It doesn't give away any spoilers. It kind of gives us an overview of, of what the Suicide Squad is, how they operate, what the risks are involved with this with this group, and, and what why you would have a whole bunch of, of criminals running around. And I think you're going to figure that out with this film. So I really like what I've been seeing so far. I like what I've been reading and hearing. And I'm excited for this film to come out when it does in August. What do you guys think about the plot details regarding the Suicide Squad? Does it excite you? Is your level of anticipation where it was already beforehand? Or are you even more excited to see this film? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. Now I want to move on to the annual weekend preview that I do. And again, I don't usually do these a whole lot, especially with the pandemic. There haven't been a lot of highly anticipated films for people to check out or or to really kind of recommend. But this week, again, kind of continuing the streaming line that we're getting, a lot of blockbusters have moved away from the first half of 2021 into the second half of the year with all the vaccinations that are going on right now. We're not all back up to 100%. There's still a lot of cases around. So streaming is still the way to go in this first half of the new year. And last week, I gave my recommendation for The Little Things. And this week, my preview kind of really only extends to one film to look out for. And it is the much-anticipated film from Netflix, once again, that is a potential awards contender. And Jason and I will talk about it in the second half of this episode of the podcast. But that is the Netflix movie Malcolm and Marie. It was directed and written by Sam Levinson, and it is a two-hander between Zendaya and John David Washington. And the basic synopsis of this movie is that the entire film showcases this back-and-forth fight between both Malcolm, played by John David Washington, and Marie, who are coming back from this film premiere, and after John David Washington's character Malcolm doesn't thank Marie, they kind of get into this fight once they come back home from the world premiere of his film and they kind of go back and forth trading ideological blows and getting into things personally and it's really again a a two-hander that is just full of dialogue full of just conversational back and forth between the two of them and the the action of this whole film is within the script and i'm really looking forward to this movie i've heard really good things about it and especially from the, the acting standpoint of this being kind of a tour de force for both zendaya and john david washington who i very much enjoyed both in black klansman and last year the christopher nolan film tenant i know a lot of people were okay with this performance there but i really enjoyed what I saw and it sounds like he just continues to elevate his acting chops again and again and it shows here in Malcolm and Marie and obviously Zendaya is a force to be reckoned with she's one of the biggest stars in the world right now especially after coming off of her big surprise Emmy win last September I think she's just on another pedestal this just will continue to elevate her to to just superstardom if she isn't already there which again I said after the Emmy win that after that win she entered super superstar stardom really and and I just think this is going to continue it for her. And for Sam Levinson, I'm really looking forward to this film because what excited me about this film even more so was the fact that when they, when Euphoria had those two standalone episodes that, again, they were kind of fitting in between the productions of season one and season two because of COVID-19, one of the things that really impressed me in that first part with Rue was the the conversation that was portrayed between 
Ali and Rue. And then again, a lot of the action, a lot of the exchange is just within the words, within the dialogue. It's set really in one location and it's just these 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 conversation blows and jabs that are kind of being taken. It's kind of like watching a fight happen in in script where where one person kind of trades and does an exposition and then another person does a little bit of exposition and they just kind of tie in all these different meanings and and these different issues that we're dealing with as a society. And I was really impressed by what Sam Levson did, not just as a a director, but as a writer. So hearing that he wrote and directed this, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he kind of continues to evolve that and the story behind the scenes of this movie how it was filmed for about two weeks in the middle of the summer during the pandemic where this is really one of the first features shot in during the pandemic utilizing social distancing hearing about the kind of behind the scenes of a lot of the cast and crew really the crew had to take on multiple different jobs and Zendaya and John David Washington had to become do three or four different jobs along with acting of being producers but also kind of being their own makeup and hairstylings, hairstylists as well, since you can have a lot of people on set. This was about a two week or so shoot. Everyone was social distancing. So there were a lot of different protocols being taken place before we kind of got to where we are now, where a lot of studios are back up and filming, utilizing these protocols. Malcolm and Marie was really kind of the first one to utilize these protocols, come up with some of their own and put it to hopefully great success with this film. It's shot in this one house, one location. So it's just kind of one setting like that first part of Euphoria in those episodes. So I'm just really excited to see this movie. Again, Jason and I will get into the awards contention of this film a little later on, but just regards to it, it has that appeal for an awards contender with the acting, with the directing, the style, the cinematography, being in black and white. And I love how Zendaya has talked about kind of paying homage to black and white filmmaking, the fact that black artists never really kind of got that opportunity to star in black and white movies back in the early days of Hollywood. So to kind of take control of that and lead with that, it was incredible. And I'm I'm just really excited to see this. And again, this is really a a showcase for these two actors. And I think they are two of the best actors in terms of the next generation that we're going to see for many, many years to come. So I'm really looking forward to this film. I recommend it in terms of my anticipation for it. I'll have a review coming out this weekend for the film, along with the review that I had for The Little Things. I did kind of a, a mini review last night, if you haven't checked it out yet, on the Golden Globes recap, when we talked about Jared Leto's performance it, that got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Little Things. So I'll have a full review coming this weekend, along with one for Malcolm Memory. So make sure to stay tuned for that. And with that done and out of the way, that will conclude it with this portion of the Sam Vassell podcast. And again, the next portion, kind of like yesterday, is going to include the interview that I have with Jason, where we kind of trade back and forth and talk about all the nominations that came out for the SAG Awards today and what it means going forth with this year's awards season. So I'm going to kind of sign off here, and then I'm going to let kind of Jason and I's conversation take over for the rest of the way. So I'm going to kind of go through everything else that I usually do at the end right now, and then I'll just kind of be the entire conversation of Jason and I for the rest of this podcast. So again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. If you want to check out my channel for more content, you can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. 
Also, you can tune in onto the Amigos Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to check out my YouTube channel. It's at the Sam Bissell Podcast. You can check out all the latest interviews that I do with directors, actors, on all the latest projects that they are working on for people to check out. And then also, you can find me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B U S E L S C M U E L. And on Facebook at SamSL. Guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy my conversation with Jason Abdal. Again, that's coming up right now. And until next time, keep on screening. Welcome back to the Sam Bissell Podcast. And again, like I said, for the rest of this show, we're going to be getting into the Screen Actors Guild nominations. And just as I had on yesterday, my great friend Jason Abdow joins us to talk about all the things that are going on with the Screen Actors Guild nominations, what it means for the award season to come, how it compares to the Golden Globes, and just kind of getting into the nitty gritty of it. So Jason, long time, no here, pal. It feels like it's been forever, right? It's been such a long 23 hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a long time too long, buddy. That's what it feels like to me. I, I, I mean, it's, this is the, the time of the year where it's, you wake up every day and there's a new thing to in awards world to, to look at and analyze and overthink. <laughs> very true. But I, I am very happy, though, that I didn't have to wake up and get ready for 8 in the morning as because the nominations were out 11 Eastern time this morning. So... There was a little bit more time to wake up, get ready, and situated down for the Instagram Live that we got from the Screen Actors Guild today, not on NBC or E! News, which I must tell you, my friend, was definitely a very interesting way to present the nominations this year. Yeah, so you, I was, I was busy at work. I, I feel like an old man now. I can't watch the nominations live anymore. <laughs> I have to... I have to hear about it after the fact. So you actually got to watch the nomination. I did. I I haven't heard much. For what you said, how do you you feel about the, uh, how we handling it with COVID? Honestly, I thought it was a train wreck. 
I really did. I, especially the beginning few minutes. I mean, I, I was the first one to kind of put like, you know how on the profile you go onto the little bubble, you press it, they have Instagram Live. Davi Diggs was on there for five minutes trying to connect Lily Collins onto the call, which for, I, I don't know personally how to connect people onto like Instagram Live calls and do all that kind of stuff, but he was like taking forever to figure it out. I don't know how they didn't have that all kind of situated out, ready to go. It was just... It took forever. So, and, and, and I don't like the fact that for us, I think as film pundits, like we, we, I love it when the nominations come out, we have the nice screen, you get kind of like the actual faces with the nominees. So you have like a, a facial recognition for some of these faces and, and names that you have. So I don't know, it's just, it, it was weird. I didn't like it. I, how long has the pandemic been? It's been almost a full year almost, since we yeah. really had to adapt to it. Yeah, it's been a full it's year. Like you learn how to use these things. And I, I know personally, I have to make group calls for work all the time. And when I first started, I was like, oh no, how do I merge a call on my iPhone? I'm so scared. And I like tested it out all the night before just to make sure I, I, I know how to merge a call. Yeah. Like this thing, or I know how to mute myself on a, on a team call. And These I, guys are going live to announce everything. They just yeah. don't. If, <laughs> if anything, I think because it sounds like David was in charge of like the actual account. Like all due respect to David Days, and he even said he's like, guys, like I'm not tech oriented. Like you know, I'm, I don't do this stuff normally. I would have given it to like Lily Collins because it seems like she knows a lot more of like the social media aspect, how it all works. So I would have given her the the account, have her kind of set everything up, and then go from there. So. I liked some of the banter that they had, but it, it's that, you know, awkward, I, I, you know, we're doing this on the spot. We don't, we, we're just doing this together. We didn't have any chemistry. We're just going about it. They try to have some banter in between. So it, it was, it was okay. But I just like the Emmys were able to do something where they were able to have, I believe it was Leslie Jones, like in a room. Uh, it was probably virtual, like LED background where they had like all the names and everything kind of going on. They made it as presentable as they could in a pandemic era type of setting. I just wish both the Globes and the SAG Awards were able to do something like that. It was just, it was very poorly run for a time where you where you had time to work this kind of thing out. Yeah, I I was totally. I mean, it sounds like it was. Sounds like it was a mess. I really wish they would figure it out, but also in general, I think, when was the last time you really, besides the Emmys, I guess, when was the last time you really did see an announcement for an award show? Whoa. Not, none. That was basically the draft. That was like the NFL draft. That was crazy. None. Honestly, none. <laughs> Since then. They, they put such a little effort into it. It really stinks, because like, yeah. I care about awards. I know like we care about awards. Yeah. We also want other people to get engaged in this, and this is... You know, this is the industry. This is supporting these movies. And now, for the first time, these are all movies that and shows that are really accessible to everybody right now because they're either on demand or they're streaming and they're just at everyone's fingertips. Like, you should want people to be excited about this. You should want people to care about what's nominated. You should want this to be a big deal because people can actually see it now. You can actually have a conversation. Exactly, and and even though the, the SAGs aren't as maybe 
maybe well known as the Globes in terms of the the the, the appeal of the award show, but they're still very well respected. And, and I think when we get into these nominations and the way the weight that we talk about them, the impact that they have when it comes to following this award season really means a lot. Like it, it, it really, this was the day where I think a lot of people are solidifying where these races are really gonna go for the next few months. And the, the the SAGs, I think, just I wish they could have a bigger stage than they do right now because it's very small. Like when you think about these award shows, the SAGs don't don't carry a lot of weight in the mainstream. They carry a lot of weight with us. But if they want to boost their profile again, like you were saying, this really isn't the way to go about it. And you know, this is more for the Oscar race than the any of the TV exactly categories. But you do know what the biggest voting block of the Academy. Is right. It's the actors. It's the actors, and now SAG is now SAG after, so they are partnered with uh, a lot of the. I think that's mostly radio as well. Yes. People. Um, yeah. So it's a little broader of uh, of a voting base, but you know the the SAG awards have been a very good indicator. Big um, indicator. Well, but. And I personally put a little more stock in what the SAGs go with with their winners when making my Oscar predictions in the acting categories than what the Globes go with per se. Um, it is, it is, you you see a lot of the times a trajectory where uh, an actor and actress will win Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Oscar. Yep. You know, because you just got to remember, I, there's the most crossover appeal between, or most crossover voters with SAG and Oscar. So, they, I mean, does SAG still make, uh, make weird things? I'm thinking back a couple of years ago, Regina King not nominated for supporting yeah. actress for uh, her work in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. But, you know, kind of flipped it. She won the Globe, mm-hmm. wasn't nominated for SAG, wasn't nominated for BAFTA won the Oscar. Yep. Uh, and it happens sometimes. So they make mistakes. Um, and then Emily Blunt won that year for... Yep. Quiet Place. A, and then wasn't even nominated for Oscar. So yep. that goes to show... Some things are really weird, and I think we're going to be talking about that with these nominations as well, where I think even for us, there's, again, some solidification to some of these actors when it comes to being in the Oscar race, and I think for some, it's either an entry point that we didn't expect, or it could kind of be, like you were saying, those very kind of odd odd nominations that are just going to be a blip on the radar and maybe not matter when we do get to nomination time for the Oscars on March 15th. Jason and I, we, I just want to correct this real quick. Yesterday we said that the nominations for Oscars were on March 5th. The voting for the nominations begin on March 5th. The actual nomination morning for the Academy Awards are actually on March 15th. So I just want to make that clarification before we moved on. Can't mislead the viewers. Exactly. Listen, we, we, I got to steer these viewers right. I, they, 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 they listen to us. We give them the information. So I want to make sure it's the right information. So we're going to get into it now. And again, like yesterday, we're going to start with TV and then work our way up to the creme, the cream of the crop for us, which is the, the film awards and what it means for the Oscar race ahead. And then with these actual television awards, again, even though the, the Emmy season has passed and there's a lot of remains from last year's Emmys to the Golden Globe 
Globes and the SAG Awards with these nominations. There are a few nominees that I think can give a good indication for what could be picked up for the Emmys next season, but we'll see what happens. Of course, there's a lot of television going on right now, so a lot could happen. Timelines, too, because you'll see there's a good mix of people who have already been nominated and won an Emmy for these performances and people who are looking into going, you know, looking for this to give them that momentum for the upcoming season. Also, want to note, uh, what's interesting is for the TV categories, there is no difference between the lead and supporting yes. uh, actor and actress, or I guess for SAG, it's male and female actor. Yes. It's all condensed to uh, the just all the male and female actors from drama, comedy, yes, TV, movie, or miniseries, just all in one category. So they are extra competitive. Yes, you have. Yeah, it is everybody. Everybody going in all at once. It's yeah. crazy. When you see stuff like we'll get into it, the Crown and, and Shit's Creek, normally people that might just be in a category by themselves are mixed up in the same category because of what you just laid out, Jason. Yeah. So, all right, we're going to get into it now. So, we're going to, again, we're going to start off with television and we're going to get into the limited series portion of TV. And this one is Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Television Movie or Miniseries. And the nominees are Bill Camp for The Queen's Gambit, David Diggs for Hamilton, Hugh Grant for The Undoing, Ethan Hawke for The Good Lord Bird, and Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True. And I just want to note real quick, Jason, that like, we're talking about the, the way that the nominees were announced, when Lily Collins announced Davi Diggs' name, I do have to say whenever you have presenters of the nominations actually get nominated, I do kind of like seeing their reactions and seeing David's reaction to it and just being so humble about it. It, it was really kind of cool to see. So I'm really happy to see his name on this list, especially, again, we talk about kind of condensing, supporting, and lead with these television categories together. The fact that he was picked out, uh, other than Leslie Odom Jr., Lin-Manuel Miranda, who got the Globe nomination yesterday, is incredible. His performance in Hamilton was great. We knew we'd probably get a Hamilton nomination in here somehow, since, of course, it is qualifying for this category. And just real quick for Bill Camp for The Queen's Gambit, he is actually the tutor for... Anya Taylor-Joy's character in the first episode because I had to figure out who this guy was at first and when I saw his image, that's the character or the actor the character plays. So a lot of really good performers in here, but I'm going to kind of go with what I went with yesterday with Mark Ruffalo winning this category for I Know This Much Is True. What do you think about this? Yeah, I agree. It is, it's interesting to see uh, it's condensed and these all qualified for Globes. Uh, David Diggs, I guess, was not in contention as a TV actor. It was considered film there yeah uh, but yeah we, we got we got Hugh Grant Ethan Hawke Mark Ruffalo also all Globe nominees yesterday and I agree it's probably Mark Ruffalo's and the uh, yeah, the David Diggs nomination it's kind of fun it's crazy that that's the one way they decided they were going to honor that movie or show or performance or just yeah. what want to consider Hamilton now project like, yeah something <laughs> The Bill Camp nomination is really cute. I was happy to see him there. I mean, he doesn't have a shot of winning, but it's just that recognition. I, I don't think anyone was really expecting that, but I think that shows that uh, how much love the Queen's Gambit really has in the industry. Like, people really, really caught on to that show. Yeah. And, 
you know, you wouldn't think to give him individual recognition for it, even though he did do great work for it. Yeah. You know, it was really just one episode, but his character really had an influence throughout the entire story, really, of that show. So I'm really happy for him. All right. Yeah. So moving on now to outstanding performance by a female actor in a television movie or miniseries. And the nominees are Kate Blanchett for Mrs. America, Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You, Nicole Kidman for The Undoing, Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit, and Kerry Washington for Little Fires Everywhere. And Jason, I know yesterday that when we were going over the Globes, when we talk about snubs, when it comes to the television side, there was a lot of outrage that Michaela Cole did not get a nomination, or that really I May Destroy You didn't really get any love at the Gold Globes yesterday, but it seems like the SAGs and a lot of things that the Globes do kind of rectified that and kind of made a lot of people happy with recognizing the great work that she did with that show. Yeah, and I I assume she does great work. I haven't seen it but I, I it's nice to see him like i said yesterday um it's things when you see something you you love not get nominated but when it comes to the globes it's like okay they're a little out of touch they are very easily influenced by outside <laughs> powers that they are it's not the end of the world to get a globe snub and i think it honestly does mean more to get recognized by your peers in this way so i am very happy for her for this nomination uh, I do think it's still Anya Taylor-Joyce to lose. Uh, like I said, Queen's Gambit, um, they clearly love it, and she is on the rise. She did great work in it. Um, she did. And everyone else, you know, it, Carrie Washington, she's great always. Uh, she had a good run on Scandal um, with TV awards. Nicole Kidman, not a stranger to award ceremonies. Kate Blanchett, very much not a stranger no. to award ceremonies. <laughs> uh, so... That's, yeah, that's a, it's a very easy lineup to have predicted. I guess you could say maybe uh, Uzo Aduba, again, not getting nominated for Mrs. America. Um, yeah. A lot of people were saying that she was a, she was a potential front runner for these awards, but and I, I guess it's hard, it's hard. You gotta, there's only so many spots, especially on for SAG, so. Yeah. It went Blanchett over Aduba. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I 100% agree. I think Anya Taylor-Joy is the front runner here. And I think, again, when we talk about uh, previewing for next year's Emmy season, I think Anya Taylor-Joy is a name that we're going to see a lot moving forward. And she's going to carry that momentum for Queen's Gambit into the next few months. And again, I'm really excited to see, hopefully, that she wins it. And for Kerry Washington, Little Fires Everywhere, that was a remnant of last year's Emmy season. I think she kind of carries a torch into this last stretch for its award season run. So moving on now to Best Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Comedy Series. The nominees are Nicholas Holt for The Great, Dan Levy for Schitt's Creek, Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, and Rami Youssef for Rami. So again, kind of like what I was saying yesterday with the Globes, I'm so happy to see Jason Sudeikis' name on here. I love Ted Lasso to pieces. But again, Jason, I think kind of what we were talking about the Globes yesterday, I think the SAG Awards are going to give the love to Schitt's Creek to kind of give it its last big send-off. The big question here, of course, is again, with the condensment of these categories, which Schitt's Creek star gets the win? And I think 
for best male actor, it's a little bit of a tougher situation because again, it's father and son against one another and they were both so good that I don't think it's as clear cut as maybe Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy is to be potentially. So I would give the edge to Dan Levy, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to the father instead with Eugene Levy. But either way, I'd be very happy for one of those two to get the award here. Yeah, these are, everyone, this is, all these people got nominated for Globes yesterday, and we predicted the two Shift Creek people are going to get, are going to win their category. Um, I, no, I think it's Dan Levy. I think he probably has the best shot. I think he's definitely the actor who steals most of the scenes from that show, uh, whereas Eugene Levy kind of plays the straight man. I, I think he's, you know, he's up and coming, he's, you know, he's hosting SNL this weekend, he's Right. It's showing up more and more, and you know, being a showrunner with his father, that definitely doesn't hurt. I I think I give him the slight edge. Still outside chance for Jason Sudeikis, though. I would love for Sudeikis to win this, just because I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso. So I would just love to see him win this award. So it'd be great to see him win it. All right, moving on now to outstanding performance by a female actor in a comedy series. The nominees are Christina Applegate for Dead to Me, Linda Cardellini for Dead to Me, Kaylee Coco for The Flight Attendant, Annie Murphy for Schitt's Creek, and Katherine O'Hara for Schitt's Creek. And usually when it comes to a lot of awards, Jason, and when it comes to two actors or actresses of the same property in the same category, it could sometimes split the vote. So maybe you could see Kaylee Coco shooting up and winning this. However, sometimes it, some one actor could get more favor over the other. And again, when we're talking about Dan Levy and Eugene Levy, that might be a little bit tougher. I don't think that's the case with Annie Murphy and Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara is very beloved, of course, in the Screen Actors Guild by her peers. I think they're going to want to see her get this award for this performance that she put on for six years. So I think Catherine O'Hara runs away with this award. But if there was an outside chance... I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Kaylee Coco gets this and kind of does kind of like what Jennifer Aniston did a year ago with The Morning Show. So I would say a dark horse is Kaylee Coco, but I think the award would go to Catherine O'Hara for this award. Yeah, no, it's definitely Catherine O'Hara to me. And uh, Dead to Me, it's nice to see that showed up. It got snubbed uh, yesterday at the Globes. I don't think either got nominated. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I'm glad Annie Murphy got in as well. They found a way to nominate all four of the family members. And I haven't seen a flight attendant yet, but it's, it's this is definitely adding to Kaylee Cuoco's, uh, adding to her resume. Yeah. Uh, now, not just the Big Bang Theory actress, she's actually an awards player. Because even when that show was doing well with awards, she was not. No. The attention. Um, it was Jim Parsons for that. That show was, was really Parsons good. Even found the nomination for Johnny Galecki, I think, at some point. Um, they, 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 they found a way to nominate seemingly everyone but her. Yeah. I mean, even, I think she might have snuck into the Emmys once or twice, but I don't think she was ever a major contender. You know, when she's going up for Emmys in a very long time, seven months now. Yeah. Um, she's not going to have any of the Shit's Creek actresses to compete against her, so... Hey, we could be seeing that this is... We could. This, is, this, this could be, like... This could be really good for her. Yeah. Um, I don't expect her to start winning those awards just yet. Um, 
think if the timing didn't work out, they're going to want to give Shit Creek some love while they can. Yeah, absolutely. And again, unlike where, again, we think it could go either way for Dan Levy or Eugene Levy, I think they're going to put all the chips in for Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, she's clearly the... The front stand up. It doesn't help. I mean, it doesn't hurt that she is the actual. She's the lead actress. Yeah. She has more screen time. I agree. All right. So we definitely agree that Catherine O'Hara is getting that SAG award. Now we're going to move on to outstanding performance by a male actor in a drama series, and the nominees are Jason Bateman for Ozark, Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us, Josh O'Connor for The Crown, Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul. And Reggae Jean Page for Bridgerton, which I know yesterday for a lot of people, they were surprised that the Golden Globes didn't nominate Bridgerton for any awards. It got completely shut out. I haven't seen the show yet, but I've heard obviously great things about it. It's the most watched show of all time on Netflix now. So and that happens every week. It <laughs> doesn't count. Yeah, every yeah, you're right. Every week there's a new most watched show. There is. There is. Again, I always say it on my podcast, I always take those Nielsen ratings with a little grain of salt, especially when it comes to streaming service winners. But again, for Bridgerton, it is very popular right now. So I, I think a lot of people are happy that Ray J. John uh, Jean Page, who I think is the star of that show from what I hear, he's somebody that could really shoot out of a cannon and become a big star in the industry. But I think this award, I'm going to go with Josh O'Connor for The Crown, like I was doing yesterday. I, it's not going to happen, but my personal take is Bob Odenkirk because he deserves recognition he does. for his work on Better Call Saul. This last season in particular, it, it is the best uh, work he has had in his entire career. Uh, he, he deserves it, but um, yeah, it's probably between Josh O'Connor and uh, I guess Jason Bateman because this last season of Ozark was phenomenal. Um, it, was, he, it was the best season by far, in yeah. my opinion. And he was great in it too, Jason Bateman. Yeah, no, he is. I mean, that's. And my sack history is, is a little rocky, so I can't tell you if he's won for Ozark. I think he might have. I don't think no. Yes, he did win one year. I think one. he won for the first season. Okay, so um, he has a chance. He has a chance. So he still has a chance. Um, but, Sterling K. Brown, I believe, is also. He's he always gets attention for This Is Us. Um, but I believe that's the. I think that's the show's only nomination. Yeah. This time around. So. <laughs> We'll see. Um, and yeah, I guess it's nice for Bridgerton. It's a fresh show. People are into it. Yeah. I haven't caught it yet. I, you know, Shonda Rhimes gets, gets those actors nominated. She does. And she, her shows always get popular. Even if she's been off for so many years. First show back or her first produced show back and she lights it up for Netflix. So. Yeah, and I mean, the, her moving to Shonda Land over to Netflix was a yeah. huge deal. The big so deal. The fact that it, I'm sure ABC is uh, kicking themselves over letting her go. But I'm yeah. sure she also wanted to tell more adult stories. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> from, from, from the story I hear, I think it was she, she really wanted to kind of break out and do different things, and ABC wasn't letting her do that. So there's a whole story behind it that you can check out. But definitely happy for that show. And, and again, I think just there's a lot of love with The Crown. It's been winning a lot of the, of the Best Ensemble awards the last few years. So I think, especially this year, we're going to see a lot of, of love for The Crown. And speaking of The Crown and speaking of this category, Jason, you and I were joking that they really went out of their way, shot for the stars, with outstanding performance by a female actor in a drama series. They, they really went out there, right? Really diversified their portfolio yeah. here. <laughs> All right. So let's read off the nominations for outstanding performance by a female actor in a drama series. And the nominees are Gillian Anderson for The Crown, Olivia Coleman for The Crown, 
Emma Corrin for The Crown, Julia Garner for Ozark, and Laura Linney for Ozark. So, so yeah. <laughs> I think, again, kind of like we were talking about with Annie Murphy, Catherine O'Hara, I, I think... I, I don't think this is going to be Julie Garner or Laura Linney. I think they will split the vote. I think this is going to come down to Gillian Anderson and, and Emma Curran for The Crown. I, again, I loved what Gillian Anderson did for Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it was just such an embodiment performance. It was uncanny. The same thing could be said for, for Emma Curran. And I think, again, because Princess Diane is so beloved, just in pop culture in general, and the way that she just embodied her in those early years, I think she's going to pull this off. And again, when it comes to this early on an award season for television, a lot of these awards bodies like to award new blood. I said that with the with the Hollywood Foreign Press, and I think it's true here. And my front runner right now would be Emma Curran for The Crown for playing Princess Di. Well, I'm going to come out here having not seen The Crown to fight you. <laughs> go for so, it. I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be Gillian Anderson, but I have literally nothing to go off of except for the posters for the show. <laughs> I, I mean, Jason, I'm telling you, if you ever watched that season, and you can honestly watch that season not having watched any of the other seasons of of uh of the crown you can maybe do a a, watch a recap video of season three just because it's the same actors playing those characters but it's just the way that she embodies that margaret thatcher is just un it's uncanny and again the makeup did a a fantastic job so did the hair department but the way that she's that the, the way that she moves her voice it's just it's it's uncanny so I, it could go either way for for one of them winning and again it's just it, it shows how crunched down the these categories are so it'll be interesting but either way i'm happy one of those two actresses winning this category absolutely i'm trying to think of what could have been nominated here but i don't know I guess, uh, they didn't like ratchet as much like <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe you could have gotten. I don't know. Reese Witherspoon for for Little Fires Everywhere. I don't know. That was the. Uh, oh, that yeah. The miniseries. So. Yeah, miniseries. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, again, I mean, it's the three, five fantastic actresses on two great shows. So I'm. I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm happy that they're getting the recognition that they deserve. It's a category made for the crown. It is. It, <laughs> it it's, it's, absolutely. So we'll see where it goes, but now we're gonna move on to outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series, and the nominees are Dead to Me, The Flight Attendant, The Great, Schitt's Creek, and Ted Lasso. And again, Jason, I think this is a runaway. I think the SAG is gonna wanna award Schitt's Creek, kinda give it its one last send off. This is really the last leg for Schitt's Creek on its awards trailblazing that it's done this year so far. So I think they're gonna send it out on a high note and this'll be the, a great kind of exclamation mark to the official end of the awards run for Schitt's Creek. To, to that, what do you say? Couldn't agree with you more. Um, all, yeah, all four of the main cast is not, are nominated. Uh, and our discussions are which ones are going to win those categories. Exactly. <laughs> I think that says everything you need to. Uh, I mean, in between today and yesterday, it is actually interesting to see how uh, often the great has been coming up for Hulu. Yeah. I had heard some pretty good stuff about it, uh, but just never got around to it myself. So it, I don't think it did that well. It did okay at the Emmys, but it's kind of crazy to see it's, it's doing well now. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll have to check it out. I think we both might have to. And again, this could be something that we see coming up in the next few years with the Emmys and on the television front. 
of award season. And the final television award that we will be talking about is Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series, and the nominees are Better Call Saul, Bridgerton, The Crown, Lovecraft Country, and Ozark. And again, Jason, I'm going to say kind of like I did with Schitt's Creek, even though this isn't the final season of The Crown, the SAG, the, the SAG after they love The Crown, it has great performances one after another. We just obviously saw it in Best Actress where there's three contenders in that category. Josh O'Connor for Best Actor. I love seeing Lovecraft Country in here because that does have an, a fantastic cast. They all did an incredible job on that show even though if we both think the story didn't really end all that well in its last few episodes, but I thought the cast did an incredible job, but I think The Crown wins for its fourth season with this category. What do you think? Yeah, I think The Crown's going to have a good night. Um, I think the only other contender is Ozark. Lovecraft Country, it's, it didn't get any other nominations, unfortunately. No. I was kind of pulling for uh, Jonathan Majors again, but... Yeah. You know, for a freshman show, in a show that kind of got... It fell off a little bit towards its second half, I feel it like. It started to get some mixed reviews, but it is... It's not a show that screams actor, you know? Yeah. But it's got into the show going into the upcoming Emmy season. We're probably going to see this come up a lot more. Well, yeah, we could, potentially, because it was in the midst of its beginning run when the Emmys did come out last September, so definitely could see it pop up again. All right, so now we're gonna move into the movie awards, Jason. This is where we're gonna we're gonna shine the best. This is where we're really gonna get into it now. This is, of course, getting into the Oscar season and really the ramifications for what this means. A lot of snubs, a lot of surprises. So we're gonna get right into it, and we're gonna start off big, Jason. Are you ready? We're gonna start off with a lot with big surprise. They're all big. They're, they're all big, and of course, this one had uh, one of the biggest shocks of really this whole week when it comes to award season, and that has to do with the category of outstanding performance by a male actor in a supporting role, and the nominees in this category are Chadwick Boseman for The Five Bloods, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Jared Leto for The Little Things, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. So, Jason, before I let you go off on this one, I just have to tell you, when I was watching the, the nominations this morning, and I I believe it was Lily Collins who announced this category, and she said Jared Leto, I put my hands in my head, because I remember you and I were texting this morning, and you were working, saying, if Jared Leto gets a nomination over someone like a Paul Reese, yeah, that'll be crazy, and lo and behold, that's what happened. So, I'm going to leave the floor to you now to just give me your thoughts, your reactions. What do you think about Jared Leto seemingly punching punching his way to being a legit contender for the Oscar this year for Best Supporting Actor? I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. I didn't change my predictions after the Globes. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sold, I'm, but it's going to happen. And I texted you this morning, and I just... I, I said, let me know when the nominations are out, but I just know Jared Leto's going to get in. And then you were telling me about the technical issues, and you said, this is a mess. And I'm like, why did Jared Leto get nominated? <laughs> it's a real thing. I Right now, this is my five. This is my five for Oscar. I, I would think so. I had, I had to bump out uh, Paul Racy. I just, he, he's reminding me of last season with... Um, Willem Dafoe for The Lighthouse. Yeah. Where the performance that was just killing in the critics groups and then we started saying to ourselves, hey, he like, is this guy gonna win an Oscar? Right, yeah. 
then the then Globes came out and said no nomination. The tag came out and said no nomination. Like man, why did we get ourselves so excited for I that? Know. And now I think it's gonna go the same way. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm proven wrong. Um, I know, for example, uh, Sam Elliott. I think he came in for SAG or Globe. He missed one, but that was one where we thought that was gonna be a front runner performance from yep. a veteran. And it just wasn't happening. Yeah. There's an outside chance. I still would say he's a six or a seven right now. He's got to um, be the six. Bozeman, I actually was a little shocked he wasn't nominated yesterday, but then the Five Bloods was getting completely shut out. So I am happy to see this happen. I think this could be a situation like uh, Scarlett Johansson last year where we get a double nomination. And just with the tragedy of him passing, I think that just adds a little more weight to it. I think. They are. I'm not going to say he was nominated just because of that. I think he was always going to be a contender for this. Because um, it came out while he was still with us. Yeah. And there was no denying that he was a standout from the movie. And I, I had even seen people at that time saying, okay, well, if he's not a contender for Ma Rainey, then he's going to be a contender for this. And then once he died, and he got moved to lead actor for Ma Rainey, you can kind of see the groundwell support just okay maybe maybe the double nomination can happen um it seems like we're pretty set that we're gonna keep Sasha Baron Cohen as the one representation from Trial Chicago 7 yeah uh and it's, it's nice to see him get in um, I'm you know as someone who lives in the Boston area or originally from the Boston area uh, I know my dad texted me he watched it this weekend and he said what a terrible Boston accent <laughs> <laughs> It is not the good with Boston accent. Besides for the bad accent, he, he does do good work. He uh, does. It's probably Daniel Kaluuya is probably it's probably still between him and Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. And I was going to ask you actually with Daniel Kaluuya because yesterday we were on the fence a little bit saying that maybe because Judas and the Black Messiah didn't get out in time enough for the Sacks to nominate this performance that it could go to somebody else. Maybe Paul Reese gets in over him, which for Paul Reese, I think he's my six, unfortunately, right now, uh, because just just of these last two days, he just hasn't gotten in the major awards. So I would probably put Jared Leto in as my number five. And, and with Daniel Kaluuya now, uh, do you think that he could overtake Leslie Odom Jr. at one point? Let's say if he does win the Globes, he does does win the SAG because I think honestly if he continues this run again because of the way that Judas came out that maybe he was always going to be the peren- the perennial favorite but now that it's finally coming about he could really become that all-around favorite that people really were hoping for with this role yeah I, I completely agree that I think we'll, we'll see it's tough we haven't really seen him content and that's what I said yesterday right I think the fact I was predicting a snub for him here, I didn't think it was happening just because I didn't think enough people were going to see it. And since probably such a small percentage of the voting block has seen it, and that percentage said, oh, he is getting it. <laughs> yeah. It's undeniable. Yeah, he's, he's a top-tier contender because wait until a month or two from now when the majority of the voting block has seen it and the voters have seen it. 
they're going to be saying, hey, why didn't we get this more nominations like that? I bet you. And I think this bodes well for the Academy because, again, this film's coming out next week. So a lot of people by next weekend will have seen it, not just Academy members, but people around the world and here in the United States. So it could really start to swell a momentum for Judas because, again, nominations for the Oscars don't start until March 5th. And then, of course, the Golden Globes are on the 28th. So if Daniel Kaluuya wins the Globe and then you get to an Oscar nominations, the, the voting on March 5th, this could really begin for Judas and the Black Messiah to really start gaining some momentum that we haven't seen yet and kind of be that 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 film from the second batch of, of films that have come out so far early on in 2021 that makes a late push at the Oscars. Absolutely. I, I'm, this is the one to keep your eye out on. Yeah. And if there's anything that's going to overperform on Oscar morning, it's going to be this movie. I agree. And and I, again, I think Leslie Odom Jr. right now is the front runner, but I'm going to hold off my reservation until I see more momentum happen for Judas and the Black Messiah with Daniel Kaluuya. So right now I would put Leslie Odom Jr. as my front runner, but I don't think he's the perennial favorite as he was maybe a few weeks ago because Daniel Kaluuya is now waiting in the wings and could really usurp and take that number one spot in the next few weeks. So moving on, before actually I move on to Best Film Supporting Actress, I do want to mention one thing with Chadwick Boseman, and this is really something that, that encompasses the rest of these nominations. Chadwick Boseman is the first actor to receive four nominations in one year, and we'll obviously talk about them in the, the, the next few categories to go, but again, for somebody who passed away so tragically early on, he, he just left us phenomenal performances in 2020 to remember forever. Absolutely. It, it's a tragedy, and, you know, nobody knew, and it seems like he... It, it seems insane that he really did plan, it seemed, to go out with legacy performances. He... Yeah. It's been, it, particularly, I know... Ma Rainey is going to be the one that gets the most attention come ceremony time. Um, but the five bloods, the fact that it did come out while he was still with us, and just the nature of the role, um, yeah, you know, as being just that that fallen figure overlooking kind of the entire story, um, you know, it it is one of those things you're watching it and you really do feel that the weight of the words he's saying in that performance and you feel the you know you feel his spirit in that movie is not to get you know all spiritual about it um, but it is for a variety of reasons that that really that you you feel that he he consciously picked that role um knowing that it could be one of his last performances and the fact that it turned out the way it was and worked into the story the way it was without anyone on set knowing that it was going to end up being one of his last performances. Uh, just incredible. And the, there's an interview with Spike, Spike Lee where somebody asked him about that shot where you see kind of see like that evangelical light that shines down on him when Delroy Lindo's character sees him kind of in that like spiritual way. And Spike Lee said like that wasn't planned. Like they like I wasn't intending to shoot it kind of like in, in an evangelical way with that one spotlight. Like it just happened to be that way. So again, a, just goes. And I to think show. a lot of voters are, you know, they have a short attention span. They're watching or rewatching it more now. Yeah. And I think that's why we didn't think Five Bloods was gonna hit as hard for award season. It came out early. 
it came out early for a normal award season, yeah. um, let alone this extended one back in June. It's a long, and long time. I think a lot of people are revisiting it with that additional context, and I haven't revisited it since because, honestly, it's going to be a bit much to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's a long movie. <laughs> it, no, it, it not only is a long movie, but just the emotional weight behind yeah. that performance now, it's going to hit a lot different, and I yeah. think the movie overall is resonating with voters because of that. I, I just... I feel that it's bringing that emotional connection that wasn't initially there. It is. And we'll get into Five Bloods a little bit more when we talk about some of the other categories. But I want to move on now to Best Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Supporting Role. Some things to talk about in this category. And the nominees are Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Egley, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Yong Yoon Young for Minari, Helena Zengel for News of the World. So, Jason, I think a lot was rectified in this category, especially for Minari. We have Maria Bakalova in this category. Again, a lot of the the same performers, but at the same time, a huge snub in this category with Amanda Seyfried for Mank not getting in this category, most likely replaced by Glenn Close in this category for Hillbilly Egley. And I think this kind of doesn't solidify her to be in the the five in the Best Supporting Actress, but I think her name is back in the running in the race in like that five to six slot for this category. How surprised were you when you saw her name in this category? Well, I saw the nominations for another category first, and you know, not, not to spoil anything, but... When I saw something else from that movie get nominated, I was like, oh, this is happening again. This is going to happen. And then I looked at it, okay, this is nice. And then I scrolled through and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I missed the Amanda Seyfried uh, mess. That's huge. I, That's really we saw, we, I still think she might win the Globe, but this is rough. And I think this shows that, like I said, did it make a real contender or was that just... The Academy loving David Fincher, right? Or the loving David Fincher like they do. They didn't do very hot. No, it only it only had one nomination. Like one nomination here after leading at Globes, and this was a this was a slam dunk. This was my number one in the category. Same. And now, you know, Yoon Young, Yoon Young, yep, has been doing very well for Minari in the critic circle. Olivia Coleman, still a very strong contender, double nominated, um, film and TV. And, you know, Maria Bakalova, she's legit. You might actually have to pencil her in now, for sure, for Borat. She's in my top three, for sure. For me personally, yeah, she, she's in my she, top three. She seems safe for that three spot now. Um, and Helena Zengel, maybe. I kind of hope for, for an actress that young, it would stink to get show up to all these award ceremonies and have to deal with your first yeah. up dog. So I actually, I am now pulling for her. I haven't seen the movie yet. And it seems like she's where they're recognizing it the most. Um, I'm sure it'll get some tech love come Oscar morning. I believe so. I, I don't know what the cut is. I do think Amanda Seyfried is going to get in come Oscar morning. I don't know who's, who's missing here. I mean, uh, honestly, when you look at best supporting actress, all due respect to these leading to, to these ladies, but they're always every single award season. There's always the an acting category that's a little bit weaker than some others. 
and I think this year, best supporting actress is that category where you don't have like uh, you don't have like eight contenders. You have really like the five and maybe one person that could get in over another. And in this case, it's Glenn Close in this category. So I, I just think it's very this category is very weak. So it, I think she ha- she still has a shot to get in because I think the Academy will still find some affection for Mank, even though I think it's not the big contender that it was going to be a few months ago before it came out on Netflix. So we'll see. But again, I think Glenn Close not getting in is a big surprise. And I think Glenn Close do getting in. I think Glenn Close getting in, we're gonna we might see that. She might get her She might. Another award ceremony to watch someone else win. I was looking on, I think it was Instagram and Twitter today, and it was basically Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, round two. Now I don't think they could be the potential like one and two. Yeah. They're not the one and two, but like to see them fighting in the same category again is kind of funny in a way, considering what happened last time. You know, we could see Olivia Coleman start picking up these categories she didn't win come Oscar. It could be a reverse where she wins everything but Oscar, but we'll we'll see what ends up happening. I don't know who I'd put my front runner as. I think I my- want to say Maria Bakalova. Uh, I don't I don't know. I think it is probably between Coleman and uh, Yu Young. I, I think I think Yu Young Yoo is going is the front runner right now, considering she's she's been the main winner for the critic circles. But she would be my number one. My number two would be Maria Bakalova. My number three would be uh, Olivia Coleman at this point. But honestly, when we look at Hillbilly Eggly, though, again, I don't think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination. But are, should we really be the surprise? Because even when the reviews came out. A lot of people were even putting out that this is a very awards-friendly film, even though critics didn't like it. It sounded like this could be something that Academy members, Hollywood Foreign Press, the SAGs, DGA, PGA could still gravitate towards. So do you think we could see, at least with the acting, a little bit of a resurgence with Amy Adams and Glenn Close competing in these categories? As someone who had some pretty strong feelings about this movie, because I did actually <laughs> check it out. What'd you th- I haven't seen it yet. What'd you think of it? I had some political disagreements with Uh-oh. it. I'll admit that. Okay. Uh, I, JD Vance and I probably would not get along if we sat in a room together. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, the Glenn Close wasn't the problem with it. I. It, it is incredibly baity. You can just see every line they were writing for her, and you're like, this is going to be on the real. <laughs> right. It, it can't be. It's, they do it up. Uh, I wouldn't be offended to see her get nominated. It would show just how powerful Netflix is that they're able to get a movie with just horrible reception. Yeah. In here, because this isn't like, you know, um, Bohemian Rhapsody where fans, because I know there is a, a critic divide there, but this is so much different. Yeah. I can, I, I can see the appeal of both of them very different ways. I can see why people would like Hillbilly Elegy. It yeah. just, it was very, very much not my thing. Yeah. And, but yeah, the acting, especially going close, Amy Adams as well, they gave good performances, I can't deny it, but it, it, it feels cheap. It just feels incredibly cheap. And I know you said the category isn't isn't super strong, and yeah. I would say weakest, but only in terms of what the Oscars are willing to go for, if that makes sense. Right. The fact that Bakalova is in here for Borat already blowed my mind, and the fact that she's really heading to that Oscars nomination, that's just wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
I would be I would be very angry if Glenn Close got in over Maria Bakalova. That I would yeah, be very angry. We, we take to the streets, fans. Yeah, we would. We would take to the streets because I mean, talk about somebody who's done everything they can on the award circuit. She has done every interview. I mean, I've seen her on Deadline, Collider, Variety. She's done interviews all over the place. She's really been campaigning her bun off. Amazon has done a really good job to get her name out there and, and it's been showing i mean she's been racking up critics awards she's obviously shown up big time in these major award circles like sag now the golden globes so i i would be disappointed if, if it all this came to not getting a nomination on i feel like this would be very bad if this was like a j-lo kind of thing where you get all these like all you get all this momentum and then all of a sudden oscar nomination morning comes and you don't hear your name i would be heartbroken. I would be heartbroken for her. Yeah. I would yeah. be. I, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, if you're listening, <laughs> I know that you only have a few months left on the job and <laughs> you might have other important things to worry about, but this is, this is where you should be spending your resources. <laughs> yeah. First, go out, get this girl nominated. <laughs> also, one, one, one last quick talk about this category before we move on to the last few. Ellen Bernstein for Pieces of a Woman. She's been somebody that we've been hearing a little bit about. Obviously, Vanessa Kirby has been the main focal point of the movie, but she's been another uh, uh, eye-turner that people have been looking at. She was snubbed as well, at least I think, in this category. Do you think that she could be somebody that could make some noise and and maybe take over one of those top spots as well? Because maybe you have maybe six viable candidates for this category this year. I think I think even though I thought she did a great job in the movie, I think people were putting her in as a as a place filler because they didn't believe that Glenn Close was actually going to do it, or they didn't know if Helena Zengel was going to get in for such a young actress. Right. I think now it's I think pieces of woman people are not seeing it. Um, it's not getting that kind of attention. I think people were looking at it more as okay, this will be the secondary performance if Vanessa Kirby is actually going to go all the way and win. That's starting to look less likely to happen. Yeah. Um, I just think because Vanessa Kirby isn't carrying carrying it to a win, we're just now we're seeing okay, we're not gonna she's not gonna get that little boost. Yeah, I agree. So front runner, uh, at least for right now, though we're saying um, Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. Jason, front runner, you think for right now? He's a bird. Olivia Coleman, it's very. I might get the slight edge to Coleman, to be honest, yeah. but it's super tight. It the is. Globe snub, it's still, it is a thing, and we'll see what Bath ends up doing. Yeah. We'll see. Again, th- even though we're, we're, we're saying that these are front runners, and sometimes we look at these and we're like, yep, yeah, like at this time or around the time that the SAG nominations are coming out, we're like, yep, yeah, Brad Pitt is probably going to be the front runner, or yep, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix or Renee Zellweger is going to be the, the front runner. But honestly, we really don't have any idea who the front runner is at this particular moment in time for a lot of these categories right now. It's very Sometimes tough. it feels like at this point in the race, you feel, oh my God, everything's going to be. A race, it's gonna be a nail biter. Is it yeah. gonna be? Uh, is it gonna be uh, Adam Driver? Is it gonna be Joaquin Phoenix? Is it gonna be Scarlett Johansson? Or is it gonna be Renee Zellweger? Exactly. And, and come Oscar morning, you're, or Oscar night. It's, okay, we we know. We yeah. Win it. Oh, absolutely. But so now everything feels up up in the air. But yeah. you know, once these start rolling in, you start to see those picks get Ex- just super solidified, or they become horse racing. Exactly. We'll, we'll see. Honestly, I, I usually go with my my picks for the Oscars 
are usually who wins the SAG. Like, to me, that's the indicator. Like, whoever wins it, unless it's a tight race, like Olivia Coleman, Glenn Close is like the recent tight race that came down to the wire. I usually go with the front runner, whoever wins the, the SAG award. So again, you're probably right. By the time Oscar nomination morning or Oscar night comes around, we'll have a very clear picture of what will win. Obviously, at the end of Oscar night, we'll have a very clear picture of what <laughs> will win. So again, it's again, this is also, I think, added to a very long season. It, it's, yeah. it's it's such I, we, we haven't experienced obviously nobody's experienced what we're experiencing now but especially for awards prognosticators we just went through the shortest Oscar season ever now we're going through the longest season ever so it's definitely a crazy few years we're feeling it extra this year extra this year it's definitely it's definitely really interesting to kind of see how this is all playing out but we're going to finish off here talking about these last few categories and we're going to go to the lead performances now starting off with outstanding performance by a male actor in a leading role and the nominees are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Anthony Hopkins for The Father Gary Oldman for Mank and Stephen Young for Minari so again a lot of redemption here in this category somewhat with Stephen Young coming in for Minari after being kind of snubbed in the Golden Globes yesterday but of course the biggest probably maybe the biggest snub of the entire film body is of course Delroy Lindo not getting a nomination for The Five Bloods, seemingly either Gary Oldman or Stephen Young taking his place in that category. I'm very happy for Riz Ahmed. This is kind of solidifying himself to being in those one of those top three spots. I would say Chadwick, Riz, and Anthony Hopkins are those three that you can probably say with ease in that top three of getting a nomination come Oscar Oscar morning. But I think this puts Gary Oldman back into the conversation after kind of losing a little bit of heat in the last few weeks. And for Stephen Young, I think this kind of puts him in that five spot. And I think it's going to be him and Delroy Lindo potentially duking it out. Unfortunately for Delroy Lindo, duking it out for the, those last two spots. I... Yeah, Delroy Lindo. This is this is where he needed to come in, and now we can't look at the uh, the snub, the film snub excuse. Uh, it got yeah. nominated. Or Chadwick Boseman got in. Um, it got in at other places. It was one of the most nominated films, but he did not come along for the ride. Yeah. And I think the fact that that movie did so well, and the fact that Make did not do well and only got Gary Oldman and even Amanda Seyfried wasn't able to get it for it. That shows Gary Oldman is in. He is pretty much a lock now. I would now put him into five and it's probably just between Lindo and Yun for that fifth spot. Uh, I think this pretty much says this ends any shot for uh, Tom Hanks probably for yes. the work. Uh, if, the, if the actors aren't going for Tom Hanks, that's yeah, that's tough. This, this, this is the bread and butter for him. He gets nominated for SAG Awards. I agree. And nothing else. So he, he really needed this one to, to work out for him. But and uh, yeah, no, not looking like One Night in Miami is happening. Um, Which was always tough. I, I think Leslie Odom Jr. was really kind of the clear front runner of those four to get an acting spot. But, yeah, yeah, it seems like he's going to be the only acting representation, which is weird because it is such a well-acted movie, yeah. but category placement, it's tough. I get it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this is great for Minari. We'll talk about it on a little bit more, but uh, this is still probably Chadwick Boseman's to lose. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the acting branch feels strongly connected to this kind of role. Um, he 
yeah, he it's it's a very showy actor performance. It is. And you know, there's the music aspect to it, which I might appeal to the radio block more. I guess you could make the same argument for Sound of Metal, but I don't know. Those two are they really do speak to the acting branch, the SAG after a voting base, but I, you can't deny Chad Bozeman. Riz Ahmed, uh, another year maybe. Yeah. Another year. I, I think if Chadwick was not in, the, if this performance was not this year, I think he would be the front runner. Riz Ahmed, personally. Yeah, and argue with it. Yeah. But I, and I think for Chadwick Boseman, I, again, I think with a, with films like Fences, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, One Night in Miami, those are very much acting showcases. And Chadwick Boseman came to play in those showcases because even when it's with his solo scenes, he's powerful. He's the best actor in the room with other great actors, along with Viola Davis, who we'll talk about in a little bit. So he just he just came to play and he just was a powerhouse in every scene that he was in so again i agree with you jason to me he he's becoming kind of early on in the stage kind of like that he's going to be the front runner for the entirety of this award season to win best actor it is unfortunate to see we're probably even though we moved on from the category now it doesn't look like coleman domingo or glenn turman are probably going to get love for it though yeah i don't um, think so the delroy lindo conversation you can't blame it on the movie. Um, it just seems like they're they're focusing on the lead actors. Uh, they probably are just splitting the vote supporting wise. Uh, they were both great. Um, I was I, I was kind of rooting for Glenn Turman. I thought he could have he could have made it. In. Yeah, he was pretty good. Do you with Delroy Lindo though? And we'll get into this a little bit with with the Five Bloods and and, and film ensemble. But do you think that? I guess because Chadwick got in, maybe because it's more of a supporting role, but with lead actor, do you think that because it's more of a ensemble that maybe they, even though Delroy Lindo has the most impact and is really the highlight, that they look at it as like a full-on, true ensemble cast, then everyone has like their same divide time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is the softest lead contending. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Minari. I actually think Stephen Yoon is soft lead as well from what I hear yeah I think I think that definitely hurts him um you know he, he easily could have gone in supporting um I'm glad they sucked their guns and put him lead where he deserves yeah absolutely to be but that, that's really the only thing holding him back you can't say the performance wasn't wasn't top tier it was phenomenal <laughs> And, and I think the thing about it, too, is that when you think about a lead actor, like they always have like their Oscar moment. And the, I think the reason that Delroy Lindo was elevated above everyone else of the of the four men in that film or five with Jonathan Majors is because of that scene of the forest where it's just one shot track. And he's kind of breaking the wall, fourth person wall, per se, talking to the viewer and has that kind of like inner monologue. And I think that is really kind of what solidified him as being in that lead actor spot. So I don't know. It just it just baffles me a little bit that he he's not in because he had his true Oscar moment in this movie. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's a personal favorite film moment of the year. He it's just such a complex performance. So many layers to what he was doing there. And I think the limited screen time actually worked in his favor in that regard where even with him not being in every scene, his presence, he feels like the lead. Yeah. Uh, even though you could make that ensemble argument, I just think it just shows how head over, you know, 
how how much he he rised above everyone in that movie. No no offense, obviously, overall phenomenal performances, but he just really stands out. Uh, just yeah. one of the performances of the year. Um, so this snubs her, but at least we can know that it was well deserved. It was. It for Oscar. It lives in our heart forever and ever. <laughs> All right, moving on now to Best Outstanding Performance by a female actor in a leading role. The nominees are Amy Adams for Hillbilly Egley, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDermott for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Women. So obviously, Jason, the big surprise here is, of course, Amy Adams for Hillbilly Egley, I think kind of snubbing both Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie and also Andrea Day for the United States versus Billy Holiday, especially after gaining a little bit of momentum after the Golden Globe nomination yesterday. And I think we can all kind of put to bed, unfortunately, but I think this is kind of the, the last nail in the coffin for any kind of award momentum for Malcolm and Marie in terms of big top of the line awards because I think Zendaya was their best hope and if she's not getting any kind of love with the Globes any kind of love with the the SAGs I don't think she's going to find that momentum moving forward even though the film is coming out tomorrow I just think it puts a nail in in the coffin for Zendaya maybe not for Andrea Day but I I think it's I don't think Zendaya has a shot do you think she has a shot do you think I'm wrong in that sense what do you think I think she might be a six still um I don't know. It, that, that fifth role, I think we have our four. We have Davis, Kirby, McDormand, and Mulligan. Yes. I don't see Adams translating. I think Andre Day is going to be the interesting one to look at because I think that absolutely is a case of the voting body did not watch that movie. It's a lot easier to get 70 foreign reporters to watch it for the Globes than yeah. to get however many SAG voters to watch it. So that is absolutely not surprising to see the snub there. Zendaya, maybe you can make the same argument, but that movie's kind of been screening around. And yeah. they were able, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. I don't know why, and they were able to see the father. I don't know why they wouldn't have been able to see Malcolm and Marie. Right. Well, you- to, and Netflix... They spent a pretty penny on it. I think they would have. They put some resources into it. Yeah. Maybe you'll see it come Oscar morning, but she she did need to come in here. She, she did. did need to come in here to really prove that she was gonna she was gonna contend. And unfortunately, we're not seeing that. Um, still really secretly rooting for Carrie Mulligan to be the favorite. I don't know if it's gonna be the case. I see. I know a lot of people think Viola Davis has a really good shot. It's tough with Vanessa, uh, Francis McDormand being just so awarded at this point. Because um, she's not like a Meryl Streep where you think of her as being a potential three-time Oscar winner now. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. But it could happen. I mean, it's the only representation for Nomadland, which, like I said yesterday, not surprising because she is the main focus of that movie. It's yeah. not ensemble, very limited cast. So... It's 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 the one representation for it. People might want to give it give it that extra attention this time. 
So I would say she probably is the front runner, but Carrie Mulligan and Viola Davis right behind her. I would definitely put Francis as my one, Viola as my two, Carrie Mulligan would be my three, Vanessa Kirby would be my four, and obviously Amy Adams would be my, my number five. Do you think, kind of like we were talking about earlier, where sometimes the SAG can kind of do things a little bit differently, obviously with Emily Blunt and Regina King in 2018, do you think that's the case here, where Amy Adams is just going to get this nomination here because she's beloved, she's Amy Adams, obviously probably the SAG, screen, a SAG after loves her, she's a beloved actress. Do you think that's just the case where they wanted just to nominate Amy Adams for this performance and that's it? Or do you think she can actually become a true contender, kind of like what we think Glenn Close could be in supporting actress? No, I think this is just about it. Um, I can't I can't really see where else she can get in unless she gets a BAFTA nomination too. I really feel like this was just a check-the-box kind of thing. Um, <laughs> not yeah. to put down, like I said, I think she does have a very... Uh, very, she does a very good job in a bad movie. Um, I, I had a lot of issues with the character overall, with how it was presented, but I cannot pin that on Amy Adams herself. Right, it's it's, it's the script more than anything else that is the reason for that, probably. Yeah, she does fine work. Not going to complain about the nomination. Uh, but I I do think it's one of those weird things where it pops up here, and that is probably all we're going to see from it we're see from her for this movie all right moving on to the final category now for the sag awards and these are the nominees for outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture and the nominees are the five bloods ma rainey's black bottom minari one night in miami and the trial of the chicago seven so jason i do have to say at one point I thought I changed Mank from Minari and went five for five in Best Film Ensemble, which I would have been very, very happy about. But then I, I checked my Gold Derby account again, and I did have Mank in my number five spot, but I did go four for five. I think these were the obvious choices. When you think Film Ensemble, you think of the entire cast, all that, every single outstanding person that was in it, and those four truly did have the best film ensembles in 2020. Yeah, the big takeaway here is to make snub, but this is kind of course correcting. Yesterday we were talking about, I guess you could say, globe so white. This yeah. is not, they, they went and did exactly what we were hoping. We kind of wanted to see from globes. Uh, Five Bloods, Ma Rainey, One Night in Miami, um, and Minari, all majority, you know, mainly people of color in the film. Um, you know, very diverse very diverse ensembles uh, Trial of Chicago 7 well then, yeah that being said the one movie I didn't name is the diverse ensemble of Trial of Chicago 7 that's <laughs> probably <laughs> probably I mean I, I think no discredit to any of the other movies I think Minari and maybe Five Bloods has the outside chance but Trial of Chicago 7 is that movie where it is so actor based it, it has all the, the you know it has the Sorkin writings that are all given a moment to shine yeah and you've got so many top tier actors that are in that ensemble not just Sasha Baron Cohen the one getting nominated but it's like you're looking at just so many Oscar winners and nominees and recognizable names between uh you got Mark Rylance you got Michael Keaton you have Eddie Redmayne you have Frank Langella you have um the list goes on and on yeah. as you look at the ensemble they 
really got everybody. You look at the top of the poster, two lines. That's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, with Travis Chicago 7, I remember saying it early on in the early parts of this award season when Travis Chicago 7 was really hot after coming out on Netflix, is that even though Sasha Baron Cohen is getting nominations for his performance, I mean, the fact that... Every, every other performance is so even. I mean, Mark Rylance is, is such a, has such a great performance. So does Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, Eddie Redmayne. They, they all have great performances in this, and they're all really on an even length. Even though Sacha Baron Cohen is getting all the, the accolades right now, all the nominations, they're all kind of like on the same wavelength, in my opinion. Like, not one outshines the other. They're all just, it's a great ensemble piece. Yeah, it's one of those things where if it was a TV movie, and it was qualifying for Emmys. You could see it's one of those things where every so often a big movie will come out in a, the miniseries or TV movie category, and you just see like the supporting actor category, supporting actress category have like four people from the same. <laughs> right. And that's that's exactly what would have happened if that were the case. Um, Oscars way more competitive, way less spots. It does not happen like that. But I I don't know, man. This could be. This could be interesting because, like I said yesterday, I do think Travis Chicago 7 is going to win Best Drama um, at the Globes. And I think yeah. it's going to win Best Play at the Globes. If it goes from that, it wins Ensemble, which cast Ensemble is a great indicator for Best Picture. Uh, I yes, Last year, it was the only one to go for Parasite because right, it didn't qualify for Globes. And 1917 won the Producers Guild, and it won all the directing awards, and it won the BAFTA. And it just seemed like such an easy, easy win. But the only place it didn't win was Ensemble because it was mainly two actors. That I and I, and I think with when we look at the best film ensemble, I mean the only ones that haven't won. Be, that didn't get nominated for Best Film Ensemble but went on to win Best Picture were Green Book and Shape of Water in the last few years. So do you think that, again, even though we probably thought that Nomadland wasn't going to get a nomination for this because it's really a, a one or two person driven piece, do you think that this hurts its chances for Best Picture or do you think it's still a strong contender moving forward to nomination morning in March? I mean, you're going to look at uh, you're just going to look at the fact that it is, it's, I don't know, because when you look at the movies that haven't been nominated in this category, but have been a strong contender for Best Picture, it is always understandable, but then it always seems like those are the movies that end up being a shock, where, uh, you know, 1917, oh, that, that seemed like the front runner for Best Picture, and obviously it didn't get the SAG nomination, and boom, it, it lost. Then you look at uh, La La Land, that didn't get yeah. nominated for ensemble, but it was a very small ensemble, so it makes right. sense. Yet and then, boom, it got snubbed. Not snubbed. It lost. Surprisingly, uh, you look yeah. at Gravity, another you know mainly Sandra Bullock in space. Obviously, wasn't going to get nominated for an ensemble. Uh, I know that year wasn't as it wasn't a lot for Beth Picture, but it was a top tier contender, and I'm yeah. losing. Yeah, Alfonso won Best Director, and I think it probably was like the two when you look at the Oscar voting for that year. And if you look at The Revenant 2015, it seemed like that was a strong contender. It won the Globes, it won the BAFTA. It seemed like it was going to win Best Picture, and then the SAG Ensemble winner Spotlight did. Yep. And 
I just think that you this is this is one of those weird ones where just because the academy is so much based on acting you know there's a couple weird ones if you look at like when Black Panther won in 2018 that that did seem a little odd yeah but but I think that was more because of like a cultural significance probably it was a cultural significance and then what was Green Book which ended up winning I don't remember if it was nominated or not but that is an example of a movie with a limited cast again yeah it wasn't nominated for uh for best film ensemble. So there you go. So it clearly can happen both ways. Um, but I'm just saying, if you're, if you're looking for an upset, No Man Land seems like an easy bet going into the Oscar night, and it ends up losing to uh, Chicago 7 or Minari. This is, this is definitely why. Um, this is definitely where you see that. Um, and I just want to give us a pat on the back, Sam. I'm not sure if you remember this back... about a year ago now after when we reviewed the actual winners and you kind of threw me on the spot and you said what do you think is our front runner for the next Oscar season yeah I remember that I remember we previewed next season do you remember do you remember what my front runner and your front runners were I think mine was either Mank or West Side Story I think was it was it Trial it was Minari was it really and I was like no way Sam it's gonna be the five bloods we're both probably wrong. Yeah. But in fact, we, we were able to predict, you know, we were able to predict these two do go into this. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think especially after everything that just happened with Parasite, I just think especially since at that time period, Minari won the the jury award too, the, the big award at Sundance. It just, it, it had momentum going forward, so. And it's carried it. This is, yeah. like I said, it didn't qualify for Best Picture Drama at the Globes. It was very controversial, and it seemed like instead of trying to make up for that controversy, the Globes decided to just further punish that movie. Right. And this is this is exactly what it needed. It is absolutely back in contention now. Um, three nominations is nothing to for SAG. That's that's legit. That's top tier contender. That's like um, five awards if it was like Golden Globe kind of. If you think about exactly. it. And that. The only thing I gotta say is it's not an ensemble player. Um, I don't think we expected it to be. But, you know, Promising Young Woman didn't surprise here. I didn't really expect it to. Yeah, um, I think that's just another example. We'll see how that does come other guilds. But that didn't overperform like it did at the Globes yesterday. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to. Do you, I thought I really just thought Carrie Mulligan was going to come in, and, and she did. She came in and she got the nomination because I think, again, kind of, of when we think about short casts, I think this is really maybe a two-handed piece between Carrie Mulligan and Bo Burnham, maybe. But it's really a focus on on her character. So I wasn't shocked when it didn't get nominated for for best film ensemble. But I think it, I think it will have a strong showing on Oscar morning. I think it will on nomination morning. I think you'll see it surprise a lot of people for how well it will actually do yeah and i think these five ensemble movies i think they're pretty safe for best picture i agree i, I think these are five bloods, like i said i think it's resonating more than people think right now i agree i agree and, and, and do, do, if, if there's one film between these five that you think could contend with no man land right now to win best picture which one would you give it to obviously chicago seven 
I think that's your number two, and I think it could be tighter than expected. I think they could be they could be going back and forth all season. Do you think who I think is a dark horse that could that that could come through? Is it Minari? I was thinking Minari, but I'm thinking one night in Miami. You know, it is. It seems to be like quietly sitting. Yeah, I just every, think, and it did miss the drama nomination yesterday. Yeah, that's that. But it got the director nomination, and I think this shows very clear love for it. So. Yeah, I think there's love for it's the act. Regina King's so good for that nomination for director. I agree. I think she's in. I think she's uh, in the top three at least for a best directing nomination. Because this was the because this I mean it's an ensemble but it's it's a four person ensemble. Exactly, and, and it's a credit both to the actors for how great all four are, but a credit to Regina King as a director to really kind of of get these guys to do the vision that she had for this film and and direct them in a way that just so eloquently eloquently put them in a way that just just gravitated you towards watching them because if they don't do well the whole film really falls apart so the fact that she's able to just do a great job of rallying these guys together i think is a credit to both the actors and to regina king as the director absolutely so yeah i mean listen this this all just kind of puts more of a wrinkle on everything for award season which again we all love and at this point in the season that's really where we are so jason as we wrap up here i want to get your overall thoughts just on what you think of the film side of of these sag awards and also what what do you think it means for oscar season moving forward what kind of impact do you think this will have in the next few months until we get to nomination morning but we all have to see the little things now. <laughs> that's true. I mean, listen, I've seen it, but yes, that's one of them. I'll watch it this weekend. I didn't think I'd have to, but I guess it's now <laughs> a serious awards player. I think we're now starting to see the difference between the big boy and the the big boy awards and the the smaller tier stuff. Those interesting things we were hoping to see happen. We're now seeing the Delroy Lindos and the Paul Racies not being as not being as likely as we saw, but the I guess the other side of that is things like Minari, things like Promising Young Woman and Carrie Mulligan, and especially something like Maria Bakalova for Borat too. That's real. Like that's now we can say those those are all legit contenders. The Five Bloods for sure is now a legit contender. This is it was nice to see in both TV and film, but especially in film, uh, a bit of a rejection of the globe snubs and saying, no, 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 like, we we, we see the moment. Exactly. And we're going to recognize the films of the moment. And, yeah, you can't say, when you look at this uh, this five, they're all very timely movies. And the traditional Oscar Beatty movie like Mank, uh, you know, very old style, very appealing to old white audiences, the SAG voters said, mm, I'm not no, that. this isn't really our thing anymore. We like, we like these new stories that are being told. Yeah, it's a new dawn. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Maybe I shouldn't have been bold enough to predict that Netflix is going to go four for five <laughs> in category. Right. But I guess that's a credit to them also in the fact that we've been talking about they have so much to to campaign for what are they gonna kind of prioritize and at least for right now it seems like it's paying off in some way that all these films are resonating with a lot of people yeah i mean this is if there was ever a year for streaming i mean they netflix got three 
out of the five best cast uh, nominations, and Amazon got another one. So A24, the indie distributor, is the only one who got a theatrical film in there. Um, and then on top of what they got in here, you know, they were able to get two nominations for Hillbilly Elegy. They were still able to get Vanessa Kirby in for uh, Pieces of a Woman. Uh, they were still able to get Gary Oldman in for Mank. You know, um, these are legit contenders. Amazon again for Maria Bakalova. You're you're now seeing these streaming these streaming companies are they're fighting they're fighting hard to get their their stuff nominated and you know Charles Chicago Seven as it wins that's that's history Netflix can yeah. get their their potentially here um, Nomadland is just a you know it's their top tier person you know it's their top tier contender um, I know it's going to be on Hulu. In two weeks, I believe. But yeah, two weeks. Still, technically, not a Hulu movie like that. So yeah, it's still. I mean, you have the traditional versus the the new in that regard, I guess. Yeah. Which is weird. Trial of Chicago Seven does feel like such a traditional Oscar movie to be calling it a, yeah. a trailblazer like that. Well, at the same time, I mean, the story behind it is would be interesting because, I mean, it was set for a theatrical release. It was set up at Paramount, but because of the pandemic, the, the Paramount is really kind of the leader, lead studio of selling off a lot of these uh, projects to streaming services to kind of make a profit so they don't have, lose anything at the box office. So it was always set up to be a theatrical film, but because of, of the election and Sorkin and the cast wanted to get it out to kind of resonate for the times that we were living in, back in October, November, Netflix was able to pay the money that they paid for it to get it on the streaming service. So it would be kind of a crazy story that a mainstream kind of movie that was set for theatrical release wins the first picture award for a streaming service that has been desperately for years trying to claim a best picture Oscar to gain legitimacy in the industry. I completely, yeah, I completely agree. It is... It is timely. That, I also think that is something not being brought up. But that is, it is such a blatant, timely kind of thing. They don't really make it subtle. <laughs> oh, no, they don't. <laughs> it's one of those, you know, this takes place in the 60s, but couldn't it be now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I mean, it feels like, I mean, even when you watch, you're like, wow, we went through something like this in the summer when this film came out in October it, it, we we went through something like it in June and July it, it's just it, it unfortunately tragically it's it's timely but at the same time it adds some inspiration for what we were going through as well yes so. but I will also say that on a different side of the 2020 spectrum I also have been tempted to completely just sell all my stuff in go out and live on the world so maybe Nomadland, <laughs> maybe Nomadland will, will resonate in a less direct way <laughs> maybe I mean listen I, I want to see this movie so badly I've heard I haven't I've not stopped hearing things about it since it premiered at, at Venice in Toronto so I, yeah, I I, I, I'm waiting for it to hit Hulu because that's the only way I think I'm going to be legally allowed to see yeah, it same. that's the only way that's the only, that's the only avenue we have Jason that's it. But yeah, I, I think when, when we look at these awards, I think when we look at this race, it's tight right now. But again, like you said earlier on, this is something that could change in an instant. We could have front runners coming out in the next month 
that were saying these guys are these people are easily going to win their respective categories. So a lot of a lot of uncertainty in the air right now. Some questions answered, some questions added, some questions not answered. There's still a lot to unpack with these awards, with awards to come, and what we're gonna get in this ever roller coaster of an award season, Jason. Ever so much a roller coaster. I'm excited for whatever comes next with it. Yeah. So once again, I want to thank you, Jason, for for coming on and talking the Screen Actors Guild's nominations with us. We always love having you on. We'll make sure to have you on again, kind of like what we did with the Globes yesterday when when the Screen Actors Guild ceremony happens on the weekend of April 4th. We'll have our final predictions, lock them down. We'll do that for the Academy Awards. We'll have you back on for all kinds of amazing stuff for the award season and other things hopefully as well down the line whenever you're available. We love having you on. So once Once again, Jason, thank you so much for coming on to the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening to this once again extended edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast tomorrow and and for the next few days. The the, the news will keep going, but this kind of extended hour, two hour long podcast will, will scale back a little bit with not a whole lot of this stuff to cover until maybe nomination morning or really the Golden Globes when they happen in just a few weeks time. So Jason, once again, thank you so much for coming on the Sam Bissell Podcast. We love having you on. Thank you for having me, Sam. It was a great time. And for everyone, again, I'll see you guys tomorrow. We'll talk about WandaVision. And until then, keep on screening screeners.